internet. Um, welcome to the second IPS podcast from CNTW. Uh, my name is John Bolland. I'm the service lead for the IPS service in the trust. And today I'm joined by five lovely colleagues and we're going to be talking about um, a topic that I hope you'll find interesting and pertinent. Um, it's work readiness we're going to talk about today. I'm sorry we're a little bit delayed in recording this. Uh, we've been hit by the second national lockdown, which has been particularly frustrating because I was looking forward to recording this um, podcast face-to-face with my with my colleagues, albeit at a safe social distance. Um, but we're having to record this on the 23rd, 23rd of November uh, remotely. So I've got a little podcast and set up in front of me um, and my colleagues are joining me on Zoom. Uh, I beg your pardon, on Teams, Microsoft Teams. Um, so guys, would you like to introduce yourself quickly? Just say hello and then we'll crack on and talk a little about uh, today's topic. It, I'm Mary thanks, and I'm Mary. from North Tyneside Community Treatment Team. Hello, everybody. Thank you, Mary. I'm Louise and I'm an employment specialist um, based at Palmer Community Hospital in Jarrow and I um, work with the um, South Tyneside Community Treatment Team. Thank you, Lou. Jamie, go for it. Yeah, so my name's Jamie White and I work from the Molyneux Community Treatment Team in the east end of Newcastle. Thank you kindly. Hi, I'm Ian Martin and I work for the Gateshead Early Intervention Psychosis Team as an employment specialist as well. Thank you. And we're also joined by Kate Lancaster, who's employment specialist at EIP Newcastle. I mean, Early Intervention Psychosis Team. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> Kate, I'm introducing you. You had to step out there to get the door or something. Hello there. So yes, welcome all. And thank you for listening. If you're joining us for a second time, we've got some really lovely feedback from listeners, uh, both within our trust and from um, around the country. So thanks guys. It's really lovely to to hear from you. And I'm, I'm hoping that we can welcome some colleagues and interested people from around the country in, in coming episodes. I've had a chat with some lovely people on LinkedIn and also had a chat with a, a couple of people in our trust. Um, James Duncan, the deputy chief executive is, has said he'd be willing to come on and, and have a bit of a chat with us and answer some questions, fire some questions at us. And um, Dr. Guy Harvey as well, who's heavily involved in uh, sustainable practice and um, the climate crisis within this trust. Um, Guy Harvey would would be well up for having a bit of a chat with us. So we're looking forward to welcoming people from within the trust and further afield. So today I'm hoping that we can talk a little about um, work readiness, please, guys. Can anyone summarise what work readiness is for anyone who hasn't heard that term before? Just to put you on the spot. If we're talking about within the trust, John, um, when we are asking for referrals um, from our clinical team, um, there is a question about work readiness and people will ask, you know, ask perhaps ask us to define what work readiness is. Um, as far as we're concerned, our, we don't have a very tight criteria such people can come and ask us to support them into work um, as long as they tell us they they want to work this is an interesting so i think you've just hit on something straight away lou there's maybe a clinical interpretation of work readiness and maybe a social or psychological version of it so so mm. clinical what would be the clinical definition of someone being ready for work do you think is this when somebody tells us that they feel well enough yeah. to work? Yeah, so maybe related to, because um, for perhaps people don't know, but um, in this service, in, in um, CNTW, Cumbria, Northumberland, and Thailand, we are um, NHS Trust IPS service in our t- team. We specifically work with people who are receiving care from early intervention psychosis teams and community treatment teams, and they tend to be people who um, have quite... Um, quite challenging mental health um, difficulties. So it's very likely that they're going to be experiencing distress and symptoms or like um, barrier, typically what people would call barriers to employment. So maybe very low moods, like a feeling of uh, a lack of purpose and motivation. And 
those are really big things to overcome when you're thinking about employment. So from a clinical point of view, typically people would, people would probably be, be deemed to be not ready for work. Is that fair to say? A lot of the interesting people that we get to meet. Yeah, I think I think as well, John, exactly what you're saying, but even having those conversations with individuals about work is it is a is a shifting culture as well because of the, the nature of the clinical teams and nature of just um just just planting seeds in people's uh, minds that that it is possible for them to to work and contribute to to such to society in a positive way and feel part of something and find purpose and meaning and be valued as individual individuals but also I was talking about it with someone earlier about bringing about tangible evidence stuff that you can see that people that 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 have gone on this journey before them that that this stuff is possible yeah, so when someone's sharing their experience of go, working with an IPS worker, going through the process, finding work, and that, and then becoming role models to others as well, is it can help people become work ready. So, yeah. That, that's beautiful, man. That's exactly what I was thinking in terms of the psychological component of this, because I, when we talk about like employment and getting into work and stuff, I often think of the analogy of this being a bit of a game so like there are there are certain like rules you've got to follow you like you've got to submit an application form then you've got to do an interview then you you're appointed and given a start date and stuff and i really feel like a lot of people don't know the rules to the game people know where the start is roughly and they know where the end is the start being having to apply for a job and the end being actually physically working in a job but i feel like the in-between bit is a real great area for people across the board whether that's you know clinicians service users the general public even even i'm i'm gonna lose friends here even hr professionals i think i think honestly that some people in hr don't really understand the rules and stuff and the exciting thing I think about what we get to do is a, we're going to tell people the rules. So we're telling them how it all works and how they might be able to like play the game, cheat at the game if they need to, um, you know, bend the rules a little bit or fit it to their needs. But I, I guess also just kind of giving them access to that information is kind of exciting because people are being asked to me. So Typically what would happen is if someone came up to me, if I was unemployed and said, do you want, do you want to start a job next week? Or are you work ready or whatever? I'd probably say no, because I just think I've no idea what this entails. Um, I don't feel like I'm ready to start a job, but, um, meeting one of you guys and that kind of being teased out of us gradually and me feeling like empowered about the rules would probably feel a lot more palatable and, mm. Doable. Yeah, doable and normal. Yeah. Mm. Sorry, this is Mary from North Tyneside Community Treatment Team. Thanks, Mary. Just just to add on to that. Mary can can award you 10 brownie points because before we started (laughs) before we before we started recording this, I was like, could we all say our names before we speak? Just so people recognize our voices and then we totally forgot straight away. So thank you for doing it. Just a little reminder. Um Really what I find is the reassurance to people that they can be open-minded. It's it's not just look on a job site. It's, it's not just there's nothing out there because media says there's nothing out there. It's more than we're going to work smartly, but I'm going to be there with you to look at the different options. It's not just through websites and giving practical assistance and help to people and reassurance and believing in them, basically, because they've been told they're too ill or they don't think they're ready because of all the things they're dealing with in life and health and things like that. And somebody just listening and believing and thinking, well, you've actually done this and you've overcome that and you've risen risen to that challenge can make such a difference. And sometimes just pointing it out in practical terms and then helping them step by step can make such a difference. Can I second that, Mary? Jamie from the East team, community treatment team. It's like... 
what you said there, you explained it lovely, Mary, about, I call it the recovery capital. So you're looking at what someone's got rather than what they haven't got yeah. and building on that rather than, so you're concentrating on what they can do. like, yeah. And then reinforcing that with positive affirmations and believing in them, which is the most important part I find about our jobs as an employment specialist, actually believing that the person that you're working with, if as long as you support them along the journey to put all the right foundations in place, that they that they can they can they can get a job, they can, and it's about conveying that hope and belief in them, so in, they can internalise that for themselves to go to move forward with it, which sometimes yeah. sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, but yeah, so yeah. I feel, yeah. I feel like we're heading towards this this uh, kind of summary that that work readiness is really a mindset rather than a physical state because the the clinical model which I think a lot of us have worked with over the years is that it's based on symptoms and a reduction in symptoms or distress and I I suppose if I'm really honest there's definitely days when I come to work and I'm not I'm employed, but I don't feel work ready because I'm mm. I'm tired or like I'm feeling run down or mm. I'm burned out or whatever it may be. Mm. And, and yet mm. I feel like often we apply that um, method of thinking to service users and assume because someone's not displaying motivation in mm. their day-to-day life or, or they're reporting feeling demotivated mm. or mm. hopeless, that there's no way that work could be a feasible option. But yeah. But if we thought about it as a state of mind, as as you guys are saying, then suddenly that becomes a lot more flexible and it gives us a, a really awesome opportunity too, because then potentially if a, a conversation could, a single conversation could help someone feel work ready. Also, it's sort of historical as well. If you think about the older method of having employability groups um, when we're on benefits and things like that, people would be categorised by, dare I say it, the DWP and Job Centre say, you weren't ready. And it's like they had to achieve this through their group, through attending employability type team group stuff and said right you've got to do all this and then you'll be work ready like you know it's ticking a box but with us we're the opposite we see the individual we see their individual inspirations and goals and possibilities and try and reaffirm that with that individual to say you have got things to give but I'm not just going to put you into a group we're going to work together individually to see how how you get on what you think what your concerns are and and look as Jamie said what can you do and what do you believe and think and feel that you can do rather than being told for many years you can't do this you can't do that and you can't do the other we actually believe in you as an individual thank you that's an interesting sorry sorry, Ian I just say, Ian from here said, yeah, just to say, I think there's been a change in tides as well. I know that I work in a fantastic team with the early intervention psychosis team in Gateshead, where we don't we we don't get to speak to our service users until the referrals in. And I know the IP team now are very much for pr- promoting the rights of work. So everybody has a right to work if they turn around yeah. and say, I want to work. That is their right to do that. And the CPNs, you know, at the front line will be promoting the IPS service. And I'll, you know, have you thought about work? It's on the agenda now. Whereas in the past, there might have been the end game. It is now part of the process of recovery. Definitely. There's there's a quote in this in this brilliant book, which I normally have lying around um, about supported employment. I'll, I'll find the title in a moment and read it out. But there's a quote in, in this book that talks about, um, you know, typically employment is... Uh, recovery is seen as a prerequisite of employment. So, so in mental health services, there's a very entrenched view that to, to be eligible for employment, you have to be better. And I suppose something which we talk about a lot is the idea that maybe um, employment is a prerequisite of recovery. Maybe it's the other way around. And in order to feel, you know, connected and purposeful and hopeful and all the rich things we associate with, um, you know, a a good quality of life and um, reasonable well-being. 
maybe a part of that is having an occupation, is having a job. Um, so I, can, if I can just say really briefly, something that Mary said, which stuck up for me was who decides on work readiness? Who is the, who's the observer who's deciding? So in the olden days, if that was DWP, if you were categorized and stuff, I guess they, they've made a, they've made cutoffs, haven't they? They've made like Mary saying groups and stuff. So I, I think that's an interesting idea who the person who's observing or deciding this probably has an awful lot of power. And if what we're saying is we want to move to a model where actually it's the individual who decides, then that's very, very different from there being, you know, sweeping statewide groups, because it may be that what if work readiness fluctuates all the time? What if it's not a set state, but like we've talked about as a team, some days we do not feel work ready as individuals. Sometimes we probably need to have time off. John is right. Jamie from the East team. I think going back to what you said earlier and what Mary said as well about it being a mindset, John. Yeah. And, and, and actually that person and, and, and helping that person realize that, 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 that they can get a job, but also what you said, Mary, about what the conversations that I have with people that I work with is that this is a process rather than an event. So we're going to be going on a therapeutic journey together to put the right steps in place so you feel comfortable in yourself to go back into employment because we're using this as a therapeutic tool to someone's recovery journey, whatever recovery is to that individual. Because that's another good point as well, what you said there as well, John, because who who, who can define what recovery is apart from the individual, but also that that we're going to go on a journey together and put all the steps in place like I said, but it's about them finding a job and a, a, a job in their desired field of work that is going to help them feel good about themselves rather than setting someone up to fail, if that makes sense. Mm. So it's a, it's, 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 it's a journey and it's, yeah, but I, I love the mindset bit. Definitely. Totally. That, pr- that process, not an event. Absolutely brilliant. Jamie, totally agree. I was going to say, Jamie, I totally agree as well. I mean, at the minute, I'm working, like you say about being work ready, it is a very, very fluid process. I'm working with a service user at the minute who tells me that she's not ready for this job, job A, but she's ready for job B. And that's her route back into her career path again and start at the lower, you know, starting at the lower levels, building up her confidence. So being work ready isn't a yes or no. It can be, I'm ready for this. I'm not ready for that yet. But if you can help me, develop the skills here and support me through this bit then i'll be able to achieve my my dream my green my dream goal sorry okay i want to throw something at you right so i'm conscious that people tuning into this you know someone might come across this podcast in the future right and say look at this bunch of lovies sitting around saying that anyone can do anything they want to do and it's about you know coming together and thinking about the mindset they're not realistic they don't know what it's like out there do you know um my service users have been chucked out of 10 jobs. Their lives have been ruined by crap employers. You know, this is this is unrealistic to say that anybody can work. What's your response to that type of um, critique of IPS saying that, that work should be an option for anybody? How, how do you think that's a fair thing to say when people say this, this idea is unrealistic? No, not, not, no, not John. It, it, well, yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It's, it's an unfair thing to 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 say that about anyone because uh, I, I truly believe that if with the right support in place that anyone can can achieve their goal whatever that goal may mm. be and 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 then you know what people people change over time and people who who's to make that decision what you were saying before apart from that individual themselves it, it should be about empowering that individual mm. to make that choice and also it's mm. about evidence in this stuff there's there's this fact this this it's worked for thousands and thousands of people so how isn't it realistic yeah i think john as well it's louise again um from south tyneside ctt um a lot of the people we support um might have previously worked and have had to take time away 
from the workplace to seek support and being brave enough yeah. to say I need support to, to, to recover from this. And that's, you know, sometimes the people that we're working with in that situation can be quite daunted and then could have even been told that, you you know, you'll never work again, which I think would be a really frightening thing to hear because mm-hmm. it immediately kind of potentially limits yeah, your yeah. future and what you're able to achieve. Um, so, the, and the, but also the trust hasn't really had us before as a team or, or something else that they can offer to people to encourage that hope and to start thinking about the future again at least with us now being here it's something that we that can be offered to people to say look mm-hmm. this is somebody's going to come along work with you give you that really sort of specialized focused support to help you get back to where you where you really want to be i, I absolutely so, agree i must interject just momentarily louise because i'm conscious of a flurry of um a, a angry emails from occupational therapy colleagues and other people um, that there definitely has been support to pursue employment but I agree with what you're saying that because this is our only remit because this is all we focus on and critically because we're able to provide ongoing and work support that's absolutely my experience that people when people talk about employment with service users often they'll say oh that you know like it's great, but maybe you're not ready yet. And it tends to be predicated on the idea that it, they're not ready yet because the support is not there. There's just not the manpower to help that person. Like, like Jamie was saying on this kind of, um, on this journey, on this, on this exciting journey. But, but now there is because we've got the we've got this, this freedom and focus to, to, to support those individuals. Um, well, I know our, Occupational therapists have been flying the flag for this for, for a very long time, though. Um, and it's definitely on their agenda, but they've been, they've had yeah. additional pressures, I think, put on them in terms of a profession, profession. Hopefully that's fair to say. We will invite occupational therapy colleagues on this podcast and we've got some, some fantastic friends across the trust, Paul Wales, Helen Ford, um, I'm sorry, I'm not going to, I won't name all the lovely occupational therapists. Don, Donna Maguire, big, big shout out, Jamie from the East team, Donna Maguire, been very supportive. <laughs> Definitely. The- I was just going to say on, um, look, looking at the service and what we do critically, you know, I think we do have to be realistic as well. Sometimes say we're not going to get everybody a dream job. We're not going to get everybody in employment. But uh, I don't know if it's a mantra. It's a, it's a quote that I heard years ago, if it was it aim for the moon and if you fall short at least you land amongst the stars so you're further up you're further in your progress mm-hmm. and i think that's something as a service we provide you know we're not going to get everybody to the moon we're making getting three quarters of the way there yeah that and means that, that, that they're in a better place when they were so you know we do get a lot of people you know i know with my case with a lot of people have got the jobs that we want and in those that they want but i also have those that aren't quite there yeah and that's i guess with work readiness as well the the thing which immediately springs to my mind is the individual. When we're talking about, when I see work readiness mentioned or hear it mentioned, normally the focus is the individual and it'll be the individual's like symptoms or, or, or the barriers that they're facing. But I suppose what Ian's saying is there's often, what made me think about was there's often 50 other factors which come into play, which are way outside of the individual's um, immediate control, but but we may be able to influence. And one of the massive ones for me, which I'm really interested in and I feel really excited about is the employer. Because so often when we talk about work readiness, there's this cookie cutter image in my head of like the person having to fit into a role, like the the or the service user can't possibly um work in the metro center because it's um it's really really busy and they experience anxiety you know it, that's just a no no but what if what if we speak with the employer and we set something up which changes that environment which actually rather than the service user having to bend to fit into the job role what if we speak with the employer and get the job role to bend to the individual's needs and that's one of the awesome parts of this job, I think, that we, you know, under the guise of the NHS and experts in this field, we get to get creative like that and really help set people up with cool opportunities, which otherwise they might be told, oh, no, not appropriate. Could I just give an example of that, John, with a recent 
service user. I'm going to give a, I'll give a shout out to NDW Solutions who have been absolutely amazing. I was dealing with a, a service user who wasn't work ready for all intensive purposes, but that wasn't the case. It was because there was a few barriers in the way. And yeah. speaking with Andrew, who uh, Andrew then at NDW Solutions, we removed those barriers. So the perception from the service user was, I can't do this because of this. Andrew removed that barrier. There was another fact that I can't, I can't go into work because this, that barrier was removed. She, the person in question is now in employment just through that little bit of support and that employer engagement. So yeah, big, big thank you to uh, NTW Solutions for, for the support on that one, especially Andrew. Andrew he, I think I'm really looking forward to getting to speak to Andrew Dent and Victoria Bullowell on here because um I mean, we're probably going to do a whole podcast on this, but we've just, as a service, we've just helped get a hundredth job, haven't we? So we've supported our hundredth service user into employment and that happened to be with NTW Solutions. So um, I think it would be who are, we should explain, NTW Solutions, they're um, they're a company owned by, oh God, I'm going to get into I'm going to get into hot water here if I get this wrong. I'll tell you what, they're related to this trust and they um, are responsible for a lot of uh, jobs in the trust, whether that's in estates or um, procurement um, in, oh, don't do it justice at all. Lease cars. Catering. Catering, thank you. Domestic. Domestic support, yeah. It's mainly from CTT, North Tyneside. Domestics, uh, porters, maintenance, uh, health assistants. Yeah, nursing assistants, yeah. All of those types of things. And and they really, really want people, don't they, um, to join them. They're looking for people, but they're being very supportive and helpful of us. And taking into consideration and I think they appreciate certainly Andrew probably that extra means of support as well they can utilize us with our specialism if you like and understanding so that he's not just trying to do it on his own he's he's sort of we can advise or help or support his managers and Andrew with that and I think he appreciates that is that not right Ian? Yeah, totally agree. Everything you said, Mary, spot on. Well, this is this is the other side of work readiness, I suppose. That you know, um, we speak to a lot of a lot of employers, NTW Solutions being one, and you know, other parts of this trust who um, are seeking to recruit huge numbers of nursing staff or domestic um, domestic staff. And and we hear time and time again from from big employers, they're having real difficulty recruiting to posts, and we can see from both sides of the fence, both from a service user's point of view and from an employer's point of view, there's a mismatch here. Something's not working out right. You know, that lots of people would like to work and lots of employers would like to employ people, but those two groups are not getting connected adequately. And to me, it suggests that there's something broken about the system because things are not flowing. I mean, if you happen to have a a fantastic CV and an immaculate employment record and you happen to know the rules of the game, then the chances of you getting a job are really high. But if you're one of the many millions of people who doesn't have an immaculate CV or doesn't have a, a pristine employment record or doesn't know the rules of the game you know, you might feel like this is a hopeless cause because I've been knocked back from dozens of interviews and stuff. So I think we know something's not right. And maybe this idea of of work readiness and about having to like fit in with the method of getting into work, maybe that whole thing needs ripping up and we need to start afresh. John, uh, Jamie from the ECM, I, I think uh, CNTW have been a good shining the light on excellence around this stuff as well, around employing people from with past experience of not being, struggling to deal with life on life's terms, whatever you want to call it, people with criminal records, but giving them an opportunity through peer support. Um, which has been a, a, a big fa- a, 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 a big shift for, for some people because it, it has it has get, give, give them that opportunity that they might not have got from another employer. So yeah, just 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 echoing what you said there, really, John, because I, I honestly do believe that the trust have been really supportive in regards to giving people. So it's a shout out to the trust, really. Cheers. <laughs> yeah, the trust, the trust, the trust getting some big love today. NTW Solutions and um, other other colleagues. I know something that 
we've talked about in the IPS team and um, maybe of interest interested uh, CNTW colleagues, but maybe people around the country as well, is a lot of trusts have got a department, a dedicated department, um, organizational improvement, um, who are thinking about how they can make, uh, you know, large mental health trusts, but also acute trusts, uh, fantastic places to work. And I would really, really strongly recommend IPS colleagues seek out their local organizational improvement department. Um, we we speak with ours quite, I certainly speak with ours quite a lot and I know the team are interested in engaging with ours because they're thinking about all of the NHS staff who, you know, because of COVID, their lives have been turned upside down. They've been exposed to pressure and stress that they have not known before. And this is already a renowned, you know, working in the NHS is, all, all, is renowned as being a stressful job because of the nature of, of the work. But um, organizational improvement are often wrestling with the same things that we are thinking and, and wrestling with, thinking about and wrestling with in, in IPS, I find. You know, how do you reduce sickness absence? How do you overcome um, barriers to employment? How do you make reasonable adjustments? You know, very, very individualized. Um, how do you refine and improve recruitment? Um, how do you reduce stigma? How do you, you know, successfully operate a complex op- um occupational health department, all the types of things that we tend to deal with in IPS on a day-to-day basis, they're also trying to figure out. So linking in with your organizational improvement leads and thinking about, you know, initiatives, which would not only benefit IPS service users, but also staff in the trust is probably a, probably a good shout. And also it's, it's really interesting and fun. Um, and we, when we're thinking about work readiness, we tend to think about ourselves. Well, I certainly do think about us as a team, an IPS team, um, and how we're trying to stay well during this unusual and challenging time. And one of the things we've been doing, which I guess would apply to to service users, but anybody else in the trust as well. In fact, anybody who is in work or out of work, I would highly recommend, you know, talking about how the hell you're feeling at the moment. We've, we've just started, um, a wellbeing group, you know, haven't we in the IPS service and we're trying to come up with creative, creative ideas for exploring what, what's happening in our minds through all this, uh, chaos and uncertainty. Um, how do you guys find that we are, do you think some of the processes are working well in that respect? And how do you guys kind of maintain your uh, well-being at work? I'm not going to say work readiness anymore because <laughs> anyone who's playing work readiness bingo is going to be very drunk by now. <laughs> Hello, John. It's Mary from Community Treatment Team North Side. Thanks, Mary. You need, to, you need to put your klaxon on every time somebody says those two words that you've just mentioned but, that we're not allowed to say anymore. Um, any well, excuse to use the old horn? Yes, there you go. <laughs> um, actually, the thing is, it's flexibility. What's really nice is that we allow to put input and we listen to. And I think that's a key thing that we are listened to and that we know a lot of the guys that we work with have got our backs. So we're having to deal with that isolation, you know, for valid reasons of safety, etc. But knowing we can speak to somebody when we're having a tough day or I don't feel like work or I'm absolutely shattered can make such a difference because you're not just seen as a work a worker, a person. You're seen as a human whole thing with all sorts of different things going on. And that we, we, we've got different ideas and it's fantastic. And we can pass on those ideas to our clinical colleagues, to the rest of the trust. Um, what works, what doesn't work. We're, we're allowing ourselves to be flexible to get us through. And that's what we're doing at the moment. But also trying to live our lives at the same time. So, yeah, the team is great. Big thumbs up for the team. You. Yeah, I'm just trying to, yeah, big thumbs up, shout out to the team. I'm just trying to think about um, in relation to work readiness, how we're trying to practice what, what we preach, basically, you know, we're trying to think about, oh, sorry. Yeah, I said it. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Man. I'm trying to think about, you know, it's all, it's all well and good us saying, look, this is a state of mind and we need a we need to think about things differently. You know, everyone's got a right to employment, but I suppose practically speaking, what do we do to, 
try and you know keep our spirits high and when we're starting to when our motivation's starting to wane what do we do as a team and as individuals because i'm just thinking for anyone listening to this who might experience that if we've got any tips for them or any strategies that they could try for me i don't do it physically but i've done this job now for like in different guises for about four years and i've always not memorized but like the well-being return to work action plan a rack book so in my head, I go through what, what what have I got in place for myself. So if I'm having a bad day, I'll I'll, I'll go out and have a walk. I'll, I'll I'll ring Mary, I'll ring Jamie, I'll ring Lou, I'll ring yourself, John. You know, we we always we always keep in touch. So I suppose on an individual basis, for me, it's just in the back of my mind, nothing written down. I've got an idea of what I need to do to, to keep my well-being up there. I advise service users to write them to give to, to, to give to employers and and especially at, at this time with COVID and I've done it with one service user who's currently using it and them and the employer think it's brilliant because hopefully it never ever gets used but it's there everybody sings off the hip, same hymn sheet and nothing's taboo it's nothing's a taboo subject so in essence there's already a weight off people's shoulders both employee and management team of they know how to to bring up mental health, to know how to discuss this issue. And it's almost as if it gives permission for somebody to ask you, are you okay? So if, if, if one yeah. of the team here asked me, Ian, are you okay? And I turn around and yeah, it's just one of them days. Obviously, they'd ask us again, are you sure? And I'd go, yeah, yeah, it's just one of them days. That's great. But then on that occasion, I might turn around and say, you know what, no, I'm having a bad day of it. I'm having a bad time of it. I need this help and I need this support. So in the world of work, I know my service users use that and it just makes things. I think Mary did a presentation on it a few weeks ago now. It's just me. It's all about communication. If you can get things out there in the open, it's not the stress about thinking about how I have to talk about this. You remove that stress, you remove that barrier. There's not a weight on your shoulders holding this all in. It's there. It's in the outside. You've got a plan. If it rears its its its, it's ugly head, because like we all know, mental 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 health is is non-discriminatory. It can hit anybody at any time. So even if you feel well in yourself, it might be worthwhile just having one in your back pocket, just in case. Yeah, I think as well, John, Jamie from the East team. Um, so what what we're encouraged to do john is what what, what the, in the wellness group what not not in, not encouraged but what we're suggesting is to to talk about feelings and sometimes talking about feelings can and i can only speak for myself like personally sometimes you feel a little bit vulnerable when you expose yourself about how you're really feeling and it puts you it puts me in a vulnerable position but if and i'll echo what mary said the, the, about the RPS team, how support it, supportive it's been to me personally, but also when, when you're encouraging people to to talk about feelings, like what you're saying, Ian, like, and, and get, being able to pick up the phone and give someone a ring and say, you know what, I'm feeling a bit vulnerable today. Yeah, because, you know, sometimes I, I do feel I have felt vulnerable, not not today, but in, in certain parts of the lockdown and starting a new job role with the IPS team. I have like questioned myself quite a lot, felt vulnerable. But so, yeah, but I, and what I what I've been doing and I'll share this with you guys is I've been doing the 30 day Wim Hof challenge. So getting a cold shower every morning for free to two to three minutes and then i've been going swimming in the sea for 10 minutes so and but 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 there's loads of evidence to suggest and i like doing that stuff personally i like to challenge myself but anyway i've got about 20 days left so wish me luck <laughs> i can uh, i can vouch for this because the other day I, I, I like jamie told us he was going going to the sea to do this and i was like what it was you know it was pitch black it was about three degrees and then uh about an hour and a half after work a message pinged through and it was jamie standing in the darkness soaking wet next to the sea and i was like damn but uh yeah so if you take one thing away from this podcast today i hope it's that jamie is recommending you take a dip in the north sea at your earliest convenience please um (laughs) the thing is i suppose that's the beauty of it isn't it that there's probably going to be a method to suit everybody that and Jamie's like, what's the what's the guy's name, Jamie? If anyone wants to check him out, his name is Wim Wim Hof. Uh, it's it, it's it's, uh, it's the Iceman. If you Google the Iceman, but there's not there's loads of evidence to to to, to back up his theory beyond beyond what why he suggests a cold water therapy. But yeah, have a little look at it. Yeah, 
And I think just to go on what Jamie's saying there as well, I mean, going back to not not, not the ice man, but, you know, let, you know, being vulnerable on the floor, we're, we're, we are a very tight-knit team and, you know, I, I call all the IPS friends and our colleagues, but sometimes it just takes that one person to be that little bit vulnerable on the shop floor and then everybody else opens up and yeah, yeah. nine times out of ten, you're not the only one with that feeling yeah. and you can help open up other people's viewpoints and... Yeah, it sort of brings up that you're never on your own. You know? 100%. And I think, um, as Tim, it's Louise again here from South Tyneside CTT, but in a strange way, the, the COVID has brought us closer together as a team because um, prior to that, we were, we, were, we were all working from our own bases and we perhaps only met up once or, you know, twice, perhaps every couple of weeks we got together as a team and shared ideas. But... This way, we actually have a lot more contact with each other, and we're more available to each other to support. So, in a way, it's actually brought us closer together. I feel De- definitely. I think that that would be my advice. Like, um, we we obviously had we'd never prepared for something like COVID, and and our work and life changed overnight. The whole team, particularly disruptively for people who were quite new to the team and I know uh, there's been a few colleagues from around the country who'd, who'd got in touch after the first podcast to say you know um, that they'd listened um, but that they were basically brand new to IPS and they'd felt you know as Jamie had kind of bravely said they're really vulnerable because they're brand new to this role they're not really sure if they're doing right for wrong and they've been thrown in this chaotic situation and my advice echoing what Jimmy and Eno said it would be to try and create that culture where you, you normalize and talking about uh, you know your mind and your health because if we can't get this right we can't expect our colleagues service users and em- employer friends you know to get it right we've got to try and change the culture and encourage this you know normalization of if you've got a mind you've got if you've got a brain if you've got a mind you've got mental health it's it's really as simple as that it's not an us and them thing um and and if we can if we can get this right in our ips services or or but you know if you're not in ips and you listen to this you work in a trust maybe think about introducing it in your team if you don't work in the nhs think about doing it in, with your family or your friends just have a have a chat about it. Most of the time, talking about mental health is really interesting. It doesn't have to be scary about symptoms or you know illnesses and frightening things. You can there's some really interesting um, conversations you can get into about you know perception and consciousness and how we um, all deal with stress in our own quirky ways, as well as the scary stuff. You can absolutely plow that furrow when you feel confident or strong enough but i would i would highly recommend it. i think that's one of the things that's kept us relatively well as a team during this is just having the having that sense of confidence in each other that we can that like ian was saying nothing's really taboo i mean obviously some of mary's uh <laughs> some of mary's i'm renowned for my double entons and double meanings for, but i'm being very well behaved aren't i today yeah. um actually adding on to that john and and ian um mentioned that because i did do a very straightforward simple presentation to some employers and said, don't be fearful. You don't have to be a di- you don't have to diagnose, you don't have to be a therapist, you just be a human. And just just say how you're doing. But listen, listen for how they respond, you know, and you can do that with family and friends as well. You you just want to have a conversation, you know, and the thing is, we all in some shape, size or form of feeling stressed or anxious or worried or concerned. And we have all that in common, irrespective of where you are in that mental health. And I said the difference between mental ill health and mental health. Um, you know, it's, it is it it is dealing with that sort of stigma. We're just human beings. We are all vulnerable. It's just I think with our team, we've built up that trust do you trust to share and be vulnerable with somebody else? And we've managed to get to that point. I think some of us at different levels, maybe, 
but we managed to be at that point. So somebody who who you know is starting work, how are they going to you know talk about that? And we, that's something we help with as well, isn't it? To to say how are you going to share? If you're going to share, do you want to share? Yeah. And how you do it? That is a big barrier I found. I'm not going to say anything, and then we dig a bit deeper into that, and that's all to do with just being human. You know, we're we're not superhuman. And we, we're not robots, but sometimes we have to deal with the expectations of ourselves, of other people. And sometimes it's totally different to what you think other people expect from you. I think there's, I totally agree, Mary. And I think there's a neat trick that we can do or anyone can do where, you know, when you're, when you haven't got any allies in a job or, or, or even in life, like socially, if you're feeling like you're carrying something, mm-hmm. um, that makes you feel vulnerable or even weak. Um, there's a neat trick, you know, like if you, if you can collaborate with someone, if you can, if you can get an ally, someone on your side, a wing man, a wing woman, a wing person, then you can kind of flip it so that, um, rather than that being something that disempowers you and makes you feel vulnerable, it's empowering. And I'm thinking particularly with mental health in the workplace, that the mm-hmm. first one who breaks ranks, often I find the first one who breaks ranks and shares what, what what's really going on is seen as a kind of trailblazer and like mm-hmm. someone with power because they've they've broken the taboo, they've they've shattered the the glass and now everyone can be real suddenly. And that is like a really exciting moment. And I think we sometimes say it with service users, like you say, Mary, when they say, you know, I'd like, I'd like to keep, I wouldn't like to share anything. I feel very, um, often people talk about feeling ashamed or embarrassed Mm -hmm. or vulnerable Mm -hmm. about stuff. And if they're able to say, you know, like, um, actually, I'm proud of how far I've come and I'm proud about my journey and who I am today and what I've been through. And, it's not like I know it. It's it can be tempting for this to sound bullshit and like you know a bit um, a bit fake. But we've seen it so many times when that person enters a workplace and they can change a culture, and that's hugely empowering. When they go from being like feeling like the victim or the weak person to suddenly being someone who's got this knowledge and this energy about them which is really, really powerful. So yeah, if you, if you're listening to this and you feel like in that situation, give it a try, you know, confide in somebody, chat with somebody you trust because you may change the culture. And if I was going to try and we're at 48 minutes now, guys, I was going to try and summarize by saying, John, John, can I quickly quickly say something? The only shame in mental health it's not actually asking for help. That's the only shame. There's no. It, because sometimes people will feel ashamed to ask for help or talk about how their feelings. And the shame is, is that they don't. They don't have the courage to ask for help. And you know, sometimes drastic things happen. So the only shame is not asking for help. Yep, hundred percent. I was gonna. I was gonna try and wrap up today's conversation by thinking about how why this might be of importance what why work readiness you know people listen to this who might have a passion oh sorry sorry she's mary you need this button next for the next record we'll get the button to you and then you can press it please i beg your pardon why people listen to this who have a passing interest in ips you know why why would work readiness be on you on your radar. And my argument would be if everybody thinks about this and everybody does, you know, even if you have a couple of conversations about it and dispel this myth of work readiness and instead think about it as a state of mind, like we've talked about today, the culture will change to benefit everybody. So this isn't just going to impact service users, but if we get away from this idea that we've got to be perfect employees for our employers if we instead think about this as a relationship where we we do a hard day's work but we do it for a good day's pay and for good conditions and in an environment where we feel safe and respected and you know nurtured then the honest everything changes for the better employee employees feel better employers have better better staff working harder doing a better job and nowhere is that more important than in the NHS where, you know, our bread and butter is, is care and compassion. So that's why I think work readiness isn't really just about service users or about IPS. It's really about like 
every workplace in this country and every individual because it, it does touch all of us. Um, any any comments to to round off, guys? I think you said it all there. You rounded that off nicely, John. Sorry, it's not. It's Mary from North Tyneside Community Treatment Team. Uh, th- thank you, yeah. Mary. I, I, I think you rounded that off nicely, John. Good, good. Thank you so much, gang. Well, um, we're at 51 minutes now, and um, I think... We had been hoping to do like a 30 minute thing. They can't, they can't constrain us. We can't be kept to 30 <laughs> minutes. It's impossible. Um, we're going to do another recording this week, aren't we? I think. And um, we will put that out quickly and try and get back on the podcast bandwagon. So um, hope if you've listened to this, you've enjoyed it. Please do get in touch with us. We'll really love hearing from people. Um, you can reach us on LinkedIn if you search for CNTWI. IPS, or you can search for my name's John Bolland and I'll get people to give a shout out in a second of the team members who are on um, or please send us an email ips at cntw.nhs.uk because we'd really love to hear from you um, we're going to be having podcast podcast guests on soon too so if you're interested in joining us if you'd like to contribute to some of these discussions again get in touch we'd love to have you on we can set it all up over Teams or Zoom um, thank you guys Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for the chat, everyone. Um, We'll see you soon. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.